What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler and visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome to the Ringer Gambling Show. I am joined by Chris Vernon. A lot of great football games yesterday, a lot of craziness, some competitiveness, some disappointing things we got to discuss here. Chris, how are you feeling after yesterday's games? I'm feeling great. No, look, I'm a Cowboys fan. Of course fan. you are. Yeah, you're a Cowboys <laughs> fan. I mean, what do you expect? Well, it's a loaded think, question. Yeah, you know, there were some wake up calls that felt like took place over the course of the last week because you and I came on the show last week and we're talking about the Cowboys getting stomped by the Denver Broncos. We're talking about this incredibly weird loss and performance by the Bills against the Jaguars. And then you turned around this week and you have the Cowboys stomping the Falcons. You have the Bills looking like the Bills again. And then even last night, the Chiefs looking like the Chiefs. So what do you make of it? Do you buy the teams got a little comfortable maybe were laissez-faire or took their opponents lightly, got caught, and that those were truly wake-up calls? Because I think all three of those teams were obviously much, much better, but closer to what they had been for the course of the season. Save the Chiefs, who have been really up and down and everybody's been waiting for a breakout. But what, what do you make of those three and kind of what we saw out of them yesterday? Well, okay, let's start with the Bills. I definitely think that the Bills, um, look, they didn't even start that game all that great. Um, they just ended up pouring it on. Their defense is just so good that they really snuffed out the the Mike White hype, the Mike White hope, the great Mike White 
you know, himself and just limit. <laughs> it didn't last very no, it, long. It, it, it didn't it, last. It, it's long. definitely not going to last long against the Buffalo Bills defense. That's for sure. I mean, that was that was a difficult performance. It would have been interesting to see he had he played the entire game against the Indianapolis Colts. What we thought of him, but right now, obviously, the the taste that we have in our mouth is that. You know, he struggled tremendously and they scored only three points in the first three quarters of that game. But so many other young teams struggle against the Buffalo Bills as well. So I think that was just kind of like the accumulation of a lot of things that the Bills have going for them. And I mentioned this last week on the show, I believe it was on Friday with House, but the Buffalo Bills have gone on a stretch the last, I don't know, all, basically since they played the Steelers back in week one where they have done nothing but play defenses that rank 21st or worse, with the exception of the Tennessee Titans, and they lost that game. I mean, we're literally talking about defenses like the Dolphins and Washington football team and the Texans and the Chiefs and the Jaguars and the Jets. I mean, these are teams that rank like literally 32, 30, 27, twice, 28, 25, et cetera, et cetera, over the last two months of the football season. They just finished playing the number 32 Jets. I'm not so excited right now about the Bills as I am to see what happens over the next month and a half. You know why? Because over the next month and a half, this team does nothing, nothing but play teams that literally rank top 11 in defense. The Colts, number 11. The Saints, number three. The Patriots, number five. The Bucks, number nine the Panthers number six, and another game against the Patriots number five. So everything that you've thought about the Buffalo Bills, yeah, they got back on track against the Jets after losing to the Jaguars. The game against the Jaguars sucked. The game against the Jets, that's a shitty defense and an offense that could not do anything. We'll see this Colts game. It's going to be extremely fascinating, but just get ready for this Bills schedule because it's about to change tremendously. Their offense must, must take a big step forward because I'll be honest, the the last three weeks, although they went two and one in those games, out of the bye, which they had in week seven, I have not been overly encouraged by their offense. It's really got to step up against some tough defenses here. Is that also true of Dallas? Because they played against Atlanta, the Dan Quinn revenge. And there was a lot of talk of, you know, Vic Fangio figured out how you need to defend Dallas. Obviously, Dallas thought, That's ridiculous. Um, Dak played about as bad as you could possibly play. He said after that game, I hope other teams play us this way. So so there was this sentiment of, oh, man, did Vic Fangio give everybody the blueprint to make Dallas look bad? And then, of course, they come out and score 36 points in the first half against a sorry Atlanta team. What do you make of what they did yesterday in their bounce back? I mean... Vic Fangio, are we serious here? You're you're like lecturing the NFL on on these types of things, and you got carved up by the Philadelphia Eagles running the football on you this past week. Like that was just a terrible game by Dak last week. It was a bad performance. Here's Vic Fangio kicking uh, field goals inside the <laughs> inside the ten yard line. He he literally kicked uh, three field goals inside the Eagles ten yard line, one of which got blocked. I mean, and he's trying to win a football game. Vic, my man, let, let, let's be real here. You kicked a field goal from the three-yard line and you had a blocked field goal from the four-yard line. I mean, like, come on, come on, Vic. Uh, but anyways, back to your team, Dallas. 
No, I thought I thought um, it was a great performance. There were a lot of people, not me, but there were a lot of people, uh, sharp money that was betting on the Atlanta Falcons in this spot, and they were driving this number down. You saw it got as low as seven and a half. They were even betting some Atlanta Falcons money line, and you know, obviously Atlanta got run out the gym uh, pretty quickly in short order. I actually think some a couple of interesting stats here. Don't know if you if you saw any of these or or you heard any of these with your squad, but some interesting stats here with regard to the Dallas Cowboys. 36 points in the first half, the most by the Cowboys since 1980. Their first half lead of 33 points was their largest lead since 1971. So Dallas Cowboys absolutely poured it on. Um, and I think it was a great performance by them. Now they go up against the Kansas City Chiefs, who also have a bad defense. You got three three straight games here now for the Cowboys against defenses that rank 22nd or worse, the Falcons being the worst of them. Perfect segue. So we saw the Chiefs last night. Everybody's been waiting for a Chiefs offensive explosion or at least a points explosion. And they finally Drop 40 on somebody. Do you think that that was a get right, Mahomes is back, or do you think that is a Raiders stink? Um, you know, it's a blend, to be honest with you. I think that the most encouraging thing I took out from that game, particularly when we discussed with Ben on the Wednesday show, his concerns about Travis Kelsey, was Kelsey looked fit. Kelsey looked great in that game. He performed exceptionally well. And so that to me was like a great indicator for, okay, we're trending up big time on the Kansas City Chiefs. If Travis Kelsey is not struggling, he's performing better. That being said, the two interesting elements for this game with the Raiders were this. Number one, how are the Raiders going to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes? Because we discussed it last week, they led the NFL in pressure rate on early downs despite having the lowest blitz rate. So they were getting tons of pressure wreaking massive havoc on opposing passing games and being able to keep a lot of guys in coverage. Difficult situation for most teams to have to deal with. As it turned out, it was not good for the Raiders. They were not able to get that same amount of pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and he was performing a little bit better um, especially outside the pocket and throwing the football down the field, having success. That is coupled with the other element that we were paying attention to here, which is how much would the Raiders simply do what other teams have been doing well against the Chiefs with success, which is playing this cover two shell. And the reality was they didn't play. I don't have the uh, tracking data to tell you or the charting data to tell you how many snaps that they played it, but they did not play it nearly enough. They played far too much of their standard defense and it got them burned big time. That's why you were seeing some of these big passes uh, being completed down the field once again this week and you weren't seeing that before. It'll be really interesting to see how the Dallas Cowboys elect to defend this team because Dallas Cowboys typically don't play a lot of this cover two shell that has been successful. So do they switch it up this week and go to that knowing that that has what that's been what has made Patrick Mahomes struggle or do they try to play their standard defense? That's going to be one of the most fascinating storylines uh looking ahead to the game 
Chiefs versus Cowboys this upcoming Sunday. And the other thing is we have to we have to at least mention regarding the Raiders. I honestly feel bad for the guys that are on that team. They have had two just bona fide catastrophes for an NFL team that have happened throughout the season. First, their coach in the middle of the season, not even 10 games into the season, is gone. And you're constantly answering questions about that. And then, of course, we have the Henry Ruggs, just bona fide tragedy all the way around. And everything that goes along with that, you know, having a guy in your locker room, having a guy that's a big part of your offense, and then a guy that is your friend, right? You hear, you've heard so many of those guys like Derek Carr and the other ones talk about how close they were. And so that team has been through a tremendous amount already this season that is just not football related at all. Um, it does set up a great one with the with the Chiefs and, and, and the Cowboys next week, uh, to say the least. Let me ask you about, so those are kind of teams that bounce back, the Chiefs, the Bills, um, the Cowboys. You're not as big a believer. It doesn't sound like in what the Bills did as maybe the other two. That being said, maybe we have bounce back potential for another team, and that is Tom Brady's Buccaneers. He was salty after their game against the Washington football team. Uh, Arians, very salty after the game against the Washington football team, saying it's it's just a dumb football team. You know, Brady didn't even want to talk. He didn't want to answer questions afterwards. And they were, they've been beat up. They've had guys out, obviously Gronk out, Antonio Brown out. They've lost some weapons. Uh, But that was a rather miserable performance where people are going to get swayed into not thinking nearly as highly of the Bucs, but did we just learn our lesson on not thinking so highly of teams that we know are good and are the Bucs the the next big bounce back, or do you think they got maybe a real issue? Um, Well, they've got an issue when a lot of their receivers are out, which was the case in this game, either out or not at 100%. So Brady's playing a little bit shorthanded. I feel, first of all, terrible for Chase Young and the Washington football team fans uh, because obviously he's good for the game and seeing him, I think he tore his ACL, if I'm not mistaken, or that was what was at least rumored um, that, I mean, that's obviously a a terrible situation for them. Did you, by the way, let me me take a 20 second timeout. Did you see that chart of that side of the field in Washington? Chad Ryan is the guy that tweeted it out. and it says, when you look at this chart, it's really incredible how many significant injuries have occurred in the northwest end of the field. And it was Chase Young yesterday, Ryan Fitzpatrick's hip, Alex Smith's leg, Adrian Peterson had an ACL, RG3 had an ACL, Joe Burrow had an ACL. I mean, that's crazy. It's all like within close range on one side of one field. I have no idea if there's anything to it. It's just unbelievable to have that many torn ACLs on one side of a field. I think I think the field itself sucks. I mean, it's it's a disgrace. Uh I know that it's been an issue for a while living outside of DC. I know that this has been something that the team is well, that the fans and the community has been discussing for a while. You would expect a franchise that's worth hundreds of millions, billions. I don't know exactly what the Washington football team's net worth is, but 
this is a franchise that should be able to replace this field, has not done so. Uh, I know they replaced the surface, but like do something different because this is a ma massive issue. Now, in terms of everything from the 50-yard line in on that northwest side of the field, I have no idea. That sounds like... Well, how about this? How about this, Warren? As soon as the guy tweeted it out, somebody noted DC Sports Dork said Real Madrid's Marco Asensio tore his ACL in roughly the same spot when a soccer team played there. Yeah, I don't. I don't like I, what the heck. It, that that is just a that's just coincidence to me. There's nothing about like I I would not expect that it's the entire surface of the field. Like they lay that sod in or plant the grass or whatever they're doing. So I don't know how it could be more on one side than the other. But I mean, I, I think it's just very ironic potentially. But maybe the word cursed is correct. You know, like maybe so. You know. All right, so back back to the back to the Washington football team at the Bucks and what you make of that Bucks performance, are they now going to be primed for a bounce back or is there something awry? No, I think once they get their guys back healthy, they'll be better. It was interesting. Brady only averaged 5.1 intended air yards, which was the third shortest of the week ahead of only Jared Goff, who played in the pouring down rain and with his tiny hands and Philip Walker, uh, who was making you know his his first start of the season for the Carolina Panthers, and they played with a huge lead the entire game. So when you're playing from a deficit like Brady was the entire game, and you're still only averaging 5.1 intended air yards on your passes down the field, I mean everybody, all all the other QBs who were 5.5 or or around there were playing with leads, and he was playing from a deficit. So uh, that was. Noteworthy. I do think once they get their guys back, they should be back on track. Bruce Arians was correct. We've seen teams come out of the bye. It's just, it's just funny. The bye, ever since they had the new CBA and they don't allow you to practice as much during the bye and they don't allow you to get back with your team and your coach can't ream your ass and you can't work on things at the facility as much. And you really have this like, um, time away and this mental decompression. Uh, it, it could be good for your personal health, of course, and that's why the players negotiated for it. But we see a lot of erratic performances out of the bye, and in particular, a lot of offenses that don't look as you might expect them to coming out of the bye. And that's no different than what we saw here with the Bucks. I will say, Brady, you know, as great as he is, I mean, some of these guys, they just act like huge babies when things don't go their way. They're just so used to getting everything to go their way that in a game like this, he answers one question abruptly and then just storms out of the, you know, out of the uh, press conference with the media. I think that that was pretty lame and childish, but you know, that's what he does. Hey, not great promotion for man in the arena. Yeah. I keep seeing all those promos <laughs> of his documentary right, exactly. about Tom Brady. It's coming out this week. They're not putting that one in the uh in the promotion. In the trailer. Material. No, they're definitely not using that <laughs> in the trailer. <laughs> or he or he just he gets his ass beat by the Washington football team and then just storms away. No. Mad at mad, mad at questions. Well, they burned a lot of people yesterday on survivor pools and against the spread because an inordinate amount of money was on them. Titans also burned a lot of people because a lot of people bet on Tennessee. 
to cover yesterday. And of course, the line is three. They win by two. And just watching that game, and this is a bigger picture topic, Warren, but in that particular game, there was one massive swing in the momentum where the Saints pick off a pass in the end zone and it gets called back for roughing the passer, which it's an outrageous roughing the passer call, as have been virtually all of these roughing the passer call. Like I I could count on my hand the number of roughing the passer calls that once they call it and they show the replay, I think, oh boy, well, that was worth it. Or they, yeah, that's that's roughing the passer. That guy got a real lick in, or what is that guy doing? Um, it feels like the pendulum has swung way too far on this from just the protection of quarterbacks to the honestly, like what is the difference between what the how they're treating them and and putting them in a you know, a mesh jersey like they have at training camp that do not touch this human. It, it all comes back to common sense, Chris. It all comes back to like understanding common sense. You have a 240 pound muscled up NFL defensive end pass rusher coming at you and you throw the ball a split second. The guy's literally like a step away from you. What do you expect? No chances. No chance at stopping. What do you? He, he's running full speed to try to take you down, and all he does is like hit you in your nameplate at your back. Like he he doesn't land his body weight on you. He doesn't throw you to the ground. You just fall yourself to the ground. He hits you in your nameplate. He doesn't make helmet to helmet contact. What do you expect? This is this is the problem I have with the officials in general. Now, for me, that was. A, a ridiculous call on a variety of levels. Number one, I bet the Saints plus three. Number two, I bet the first half under in the game. And that would have set up, you know, if, uh, the Saints had the ball. If the score was six to six with like two minutes left in the first half, something like that. It was very little time left in the first half. Um, instead, it gives the uh, the Titans first and goal uh, with the football. And of course, they score a touchdown. Um, but so it affected me from a betting perspective, even though the first half did go under and the saints did cover the three, but even if I had the over and the Titans just using logical thought process here, it's a messed up call. You think intelligently, the referees need to just like the league needs to instruct the referees that we are absolutely protecting the quarterbacks here. We do not want these quarterbacks getting knocked out. It's a 17-game season. We've got to limit the amount of injuries these quarterbacks sustain. But if the hit actually doesn't deliver an injury, and if the guy literally cannot let up that much more than what he already did, use some logic here. I understand three steps or two steps after the quarterback releases the ball, flag it. That's fine. Going low, trying to take the guy out. If it's truly low, flag it. I am all for the rules as they are written to try to protect these quarterbacks. But giving these referees the leeway to officiate these things and change the games, changing outcomes of games by bullshit calls that have no business of being called because they don't actually deliver damage. 
They aren't actually the guy trying to inflict any damage. They're not hitting high or low. The guy's pulling up to whatever extent he possibly could. I mean, this is football, dude. This is football. So I I get pissed off. I saw Sean Payton after the game. He was livid at the call. He refused to get fined by the league and contribute any more to Roger Goodell's bottomless pockets. But he was absolutely frustrated by that call. It clearly gave the Titans seven points there. Uh, there's no, there's no if, if ands, or buts about it. it. Is indisputable that that was a bullshit call. And far too often, we see this happening every single week. And I kid you not, it wasn't after this week's games, but it was within the last couple of weeks, an NFL GM texted me. We were going back and forth after one of his team's games. And he said, this is the worst officiating he has seen in the NFL in recent memory. And I think that almost even includes, though we didn't mention it, um, the replacement referees. Like this, this, the way that they're arbitrarily throwing these flags this year is egregious because there aren't clear-cut defined. It's it's like they're given so much gray area to make their own judgment based upon what the rules are with regard to taunting, with regard to roughing the passer calls, that it's not strictly letter of the law stuff. The the league is giving them so much uh leeway to make these calls. And I think you know it's what a they're problem. gonna have to do? They're gonna have to do the competition committee. The way to fix it is to be able to challenge it. I agree. And look, people don't like the challenge process. People don't like um, the length of games. But let me just tell you something. What I don't like is referees deciding game outcomes. That's what I Absolutely. hate more. You have only, only 17 games. That's it. If you have a, If you lose or win a game... Because a referee is throwing a flag, that's a massive uh, change to your entire year. Everything that you've been building up for to have something like that change the outcome of a game. And the problem is going to be if they do that, Chris, the league office has to be the ones to rule on that. The guys at the at the NFL, because you can't have the ref who throws the flag then come back and look at it and be like, "Oh yeah, I was wrong." Right. Because well, this is exactly what they do in the NBA. It's exactly what they do in the NBA is they go back to, you know, the headquarters in Secaucus when there's some kind of play at the end of the game. They have uh, and, and, and people get upset about this sometimes, but especially when you're talking about level of importance, they do this generally with game on the line type of stuff an out of bounds play or a block charge or a goaltend or whatever it may be, something that really could decide the game. And in this case, there's no question, if you have a pick in the end zone, like, and we all think that that roughing the passer call is is crazy, Sean Payton should be able to challenge that. They should be able to go back, look at that, and say, this ref is, is wildly out of line. I think you would have a lot less. A lot less. Now, the flip side would be, you know, can you, like, you're not going to be able to, and I think that's the way you have to do it. You're not going to be able to, you know, 
challenge and say, my guy got roughed. It's if the flag is thrown, then you can say, I think the flag was thrown. You can't you can't go out of your way and say this should have been a roughing the passer. But if they do call it, you should be able to challenge that call if you think it's it's terrible. I, I just want everybody to know at home, because in case you're not watching the NFL as closely as we are, there is a gray area with what the league office is able to do from their headquarters to change calls in games. They have earpieces into every single referee. And I don't know if you noticed this or not, Chris, but last year and the first couple of weeks of this year, it was like the refs got together if they needed to. Here's the call. Boom. Make the call. There was very little huddling up with the zebras for like what appears to be like 30 to 40 seconds or this, you know, lately we see calls not even being made on time. Like, like. They're kind of waiting around to see what they want to actually rule. What they are doing is they are hearing from the league office. They're standing around making it look like they're chatting amongst themselves. The league office is looking at all the quick replays to then tell them what they should be calling. You know how they sometimes say like, well, they called they called the ball this way or they said it was a fumble. And then like there's a little bit of disagreement on the field and players are running around. And then like a minute later without doing anything, the refs say, the ruling on the field is this, and they change it to what it was like initially 60 seconds ago. That's because they don't want to waste a um, a coach's challenge, and they don't want to have a really outrageous, egregious mistake um, because all the replays and the announcers are like, what the hell? This like So everybody across America who's watching the game sees that there was a problem with it. They actually make it correct. They correct that with this earpiece, but they don't want to say it. They don't tell you that that's what's happening. They try to say, oh, the, cha- the ruling on the field has changed to this. They could easily do, do that with this same situation, with these flags where we need to pick it up. But they're basically admitting that the ref was wrong, but that's okay. Like, it's hard it's okay. in real yeah, time. You know what? It's hard in real time. I understand it's difficult for these refs. I still think they're shitty. I still think they do a bad job. But I do admit that it is difficult with the pressure the league has put on them to try to call things to be careful for the quarterbacks. But if it if the replay shows that it's bullshit, then they need to call that in and pick that fucking flag up. Especially this was a change of possession. It gave the team a first down. You had plenty of time between that. Well, and what we need to happen, and I hate to say this, but the way something like that gets changed is when it happens in the playoffs. And interestingly enough, it cost the Saints possibly a Super Bowl, you know, and they changed the pass interference deal. Right, like that's yep. that they, they change that. It might it might have cost the Cowboys a chance at a Super Bowl on the Des caught it play, and they changed the rule after that. Like it just feels like it, we're we're seeing this happen during the course of these games, but it has it's going to have to happen in some kind of massively high leverage situation for it to be a true agent for change. And what sucks is it could very well cost teams games in the regular season. My last statement on this is the following. I just want it to be refereed accurately. Uh, You know, 
Games games have highs and lows, balls bounce different ways. It's difficult to prognosticate the future. What we do when we are gambling on the NFL, it's different than like trying to bet on uh, predict other types of markets or the weather or shit like that. We we are guessing what is going to happen, and there's a point spread that's trying to be put into place to make it even more difficult for us to figure out what the hell is going to happen in the game because they are trying to set that line as accurately as possible to make it more difficult for us to... We're supposed to only be able to win 50% of the time, basically, because of that point spread that's in there. And so it's a true coin flip uh, thrown in there to try to prevent us from being able to uh, accurately forecast what is going to happen because now we got to come up against this point spread. The ball bounces different ways. It's difficult, but we just don't want refs to get involved in deciding outcomes of games, right? If it's a penalty, it's a penalty. If it's not a penalty, it shouldn't be a penalty. Like whatever happens on the field should happen on the field and the refs should try to officiate that as accurately as possible. The NFL's sole goal here should be to make the game as pure as as possible, as pure as the new fallen snow in Lambeau. That's how the referees should be trying to make the game. If it's a penalty, call it. If it's not, don't. Don't worry about what your guy made a mistake 30 seconds ago by throwing a flag. Let's make sure the game is as pure as possible and let the players and coaches decide the outcomes. Speaking of pure football, Warren, how much did you enjoy the Lions versus the Steelers? There are no winners. There are no losers. <laughs> that was classic. <laughs> they, that was they, classic the game, game ends in a tie with here's, neither here, team wanting to win the game. Yeah, here, here's my take. I got there there are some people that are tweeting uh or or complaining that like ties suck and this is annoying. Like, let's decide on the field. You got Najee Harris saying that I didn't even know there could be ties. That that's okay. I mean, this is his first year. He should know. I mean, Mike Tomlin should educate these guys uh, about what happens in the event that you go to overtime that this game could end in tie. But that's not really my big issue. My issue is simply a comment with regard to all the people that say, well, we should eliminate ties. Ties ties are terrible. Let's create rules to help uh, make it so that there are no ties. If you can't outscore your opponent after a game goes on for three hours and 40 minutes you do not deserve to keep playing that game indefinitely to try to break that tie it is a 17 game season this game has been on tv the fans are there you're playing them on the field i know the game time itself is only 70 minutes it's three fucking hours and 40 minutes i agree ties are lame we have more important fish to fry my friends we we, we would still be watching that the Steelers Lions, right? We, now. We the, have, game, we the have, game would still be on. It is it is such a disadvantage for players that have come off of a multi-overtime game with player health and conditioning for the next week. And you know, I, I this is the this is by far the the worst, like I don't even think it bears discussion. I just wanted to mention this point. Well, but look, it ties does, are, does ties not are matter. Stupid. I yeah. don't like ties either, but it happens like once a year. It's it's really. okay. It's okay. Like it is, it is the least of our concerns. It, it, like you said, it happens so infrequently that what we need to be concerned about are the fucking rules changes that are happening, that, that these roughing the passers and taunting penalties that decide outcomes of games and happen multiple times every single week 
um, that are far more egregious and impactful to the games than you couldn't beat a team after playing them for three hours and 40 minutes. And so you want more time to try to figure out the results of the game. I don't, uh, that doesn't matter to me. I know another thing that stood out to you from this weekend outside of the tie was the Chargers Vikings game, which was, I mean, a battle of two, you know, roughly 500 football teams duking it out. And the Vikings are able to come away with a win against San Diego. Um, even though I, the, the, the second to last drive, Herbert, some of those, di- the one throw he had to Keenan Allen was just unbelievable. Um, and he can make some rather spectacular plays himself. But what, what stood out about what would not necessarily be the most interesting game to most people, but you certainly thought that a couple of things stood out. Yeah, you're, you made a great point. That one throw to Keenan Allen was incredible. You know what? Give Justin Herbert the opportunity to throw 15 times beyond 15 yards and watch what happens. That, that's what stood out to me the most. You got a quarterback who's got one of the most special arm talents in the game right now, averaging only 5.7 yards per pass down the field. That's his intended air yards. That's how far his passes are traveling on average. It was 5.7 yards. If you look at his passing chart, and maybe I'll tweet this out later today, absolutely pathetic. He throws for 195 yards. He has a total of three passes the entire day that go more than 13 yards down the field. Three passes that go more than 13 yards. Everything, everything is within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage short. I mean, it's absurd what Joe Lombardi (laughs) is doing here. It's the Drew Brees offense. (laughs) It's the Drew Brees offense. Joe Lombardi needs to be fired. Brandon Staley, the analytics guru that everybody (laughs) was- Fired, fired. Joe Joe Lombardi- the guy. Look, all I could say is this. Mike Williams fire, doesn't want him fired. Firing is, is too harsh of a word. I was, I was a little excited there. But all I could say is this. We identified the new coaching staff would absolutely be a positive for Justin Herbert this year. But we immediately, when they said Joe Lombardi, had massive questions about what this offense is going to look like. So for people that were studying Joe Lombardi and what he was going to do in this offense, we already had red flags about this guy. And he's doing nothing to tell us that he's changed, he's a new man, he can be different, he's got a great talented quarterback right now and look at what he can do. No. And the problem that I have is you could, you could say all you want. Oh, Brandon Staley's still the GOAT. He's the best coach and it's just Joe Lombardi. If Brandon Staley wanted something done with this offense differently, do you think that the OC wouldn't do it? How many times do OCs acquiesce to Mike Zimmer and get all conservative and do whatever Mike Zimmer wants them to do? I mean, Joe Lombard, Brandon Staley has to be able to see with his own eyes. He mentioned it before the bye. We've got to improve how we're playing on early downs. And yet they are still having these same issues crop up. It's completely frustrating to me. Anybody else who wants to just see good football, let alone Chargers fans, what they're doing with Justin Herbert and the shackles that they're keeping him in inside of this offensive structure.
We are just over the midway point now with almost a third of the league, 10 teams that are either five and four or four and five. And the 49ers actually have a chance to get there too tonight. What do you make of the fact that we've got 10 teams? It could be 11 if the 49ers were somehow able to get a win uh, tonight in their game that, you know, we got all these teams that are kind of bunched up right in the middle. Do you think that that is good for the league, bad for the league, indifferent for the league to have so many just middle of the pack win as much as you lose type of teams? I think it's great for the league. I I think it's an easy answer because what the NFL wants is competitive games. Yeah, they want their storylines. They would love to have like an undefeated team that they could put on primetime TV. I'm sure that would sell. But that happens. Usually there's a team like that, maybe. I don't know how often a team is 10 and 0. Uh, but I'm fine with the the league being a question mark every single week. It does make it challenging when you're trying to bet on the games. It does make it um, intriguing. Uh, you do see a lot of upsets. Um, I know the dogs had a great day again this week. I know it's great for Vegas and and thus the sharper betters who tend to bet on the same sides that Vegas needs each week. Um, so <laughs> I certainly can't complain about the way that the league is, is uh, going from a competitive perspective. But as a viewer and a fan of the NFL, 10 out of 10 times, I would rather watch a competitive game between a team I thought was going to blow somebody out, but actually keeps it really close and the outcome is coming down to the final drive, then I would want to watch a 35 to three type game, you know, like your Dallas Cowboys delivered yesterday. Uh, So count me in favor of uh, very competitive games. And so many of these teams and fan bases are like, we still got a shot at the postseason. We still aren't completely eliminated. We could go on a hot streak the next few weeks. I, I think that's great for the league. Yeah, you know, you mentioned underdogs and, and the success that they have had. It's 58% so far this season, underdogs covering, which I read this morning. Is that is that high? Is that extremely high? Is that close to normal? Um, does it always usually end up 50-50 or close to at the end of the year? Like, wh- wh- where are we at? Because we're a little way past the midway point of the season, and we've had 58% of the games been covered by the underdog. 58% to date, if the season ended right now, would be the highest in the last 30 years, for sure. Whoa. Uh, the largest ATS record for dogs in the course of a single season was 2002 at 56%, at least in the last 30 years. Uh, 2006 was at 55%. Um, If we look back at what season was the closest, like last season, 52%. Favorites did pretty well. The season before that, 2019, they only hit 50%. 2018, 53%. 2017, 49%. So 58% for dogs. I mean, this is a unprecedented dog season thus far. If the season were to end today, it would be the largest uh, great performance. Sorry, Mike. Again, I apologize. If the season ended today, this would be by far the best year that dogs have had in recent memory. 
Wow. Well, as we are a little bit past the midway point of the season, the teams that people have been lucky to bet on or have been good to bet on have been Green Bay, eight and one against the spread. The Cowboys, seven and one against the spread. The Titans are seven and two. Arizona, seven and two. And then the spread losers. The Washington football team finally covered yesterday, and they won outright, in fact. So that was a big cover for them. One and seven, though, against the spread. Chiefs, two and seven. Jets, two and six. 49ers, two and six. That's what we have so far. Any of those particularly stand out to you in terms of teams that have been outstanding or terrible against the spread halfway through the season? No, I mean, look, the Packers and and the floor, they're doing such a great job. I mean, I've been very impressed with their defensive turnaround. I think what's most interesting to me, Chris, as we start heading down this tail end of the season is it doesn't take much sometimes. Like people say, oh, it's impossible to fix this. It doesn't take that much for little tweaks to make big impacts. And some of the teams with the better coaches to get their ship pointed in the right direction. And we probably will see a little bit more separation, I think, with some of these teams down the stretch. Um, Some of these better teams, as some of the worst teams start to lose more straight up, it will influence their confidence in the product they're delivering out on the field. Sometimes the coaching staff will then make some changes. Let's see some younger players. Let's make a move here or there. So some of the teams that we're covering as these short dogs may not do quite as well down the stretch is is a potential guess. Um, And then some of the teams that are a little bit better might button some things up a little bit more, figure out a couple of tweaks. And this is always the time of year when we have some of the best coaches in the league say, you know, we just want to be in it. We'd love to be ahead of it, but come, you know, mid-November, because then we have this run through the end of the season where we need to be playing our best ball. We figured some things out. We've made the adjustments that we need to make. And so I've, there's been a number of, whether it's OCs or head coaches that I've spoken with that talk to the fact that the beginning part of the season, we're trying things out. It's okay if we drop a few games here or there. We want to have stuff figured out midway through November so that we can roll down the stretch. And you always want to be going into the playoffs on a streak, on a winning streak, feeling good about yourself. If if you drop week 18, the last game of the season, whatever, but you want to be playing your best ball at that time of the year. And so I think we'll see some of these favorites have a little bit more success, but there's a lot of teams still in it. And I do think that any number of these teams could step up, but I tend to like the teams that have the better coaching staffs and um, trust in them to figure things out. All right, speaking of, and we will close with this, a lot of talk about the New England Patriots who have a pretty good coaching staff themselves, especially their head coaches had a, a tremendous amount of success. Mac Jones looks absolutely awesome yesterday, and that team has had a monster resurgence as of late. Are you buying the Patriots and this surge that they have had? I am. 
uh, because I've never really been selling them. People didn't like Mac Jones and people didn't like what the Patriots were doing. And, and you know, I don't, I'm not sure why. I was never on that side of the fence. I never really thought that this team wasn't very good. Um, my criticism of this team was I felt like their defense was not as good as their statistics indicate because of the opponents that they've played. Um, but maybe I was a little bit wrong there. We'll see. One game's not going to decide everything for this defense, but their performance absolutely was impressive defensively in this game. But uh, I like this team. I don't, I never really dislike this team. Um, and I think their offense can get back on track. Look, any rookie quarterback is going to go through some growing pains. And so it, there are going to be highs and lows in his first season. There's no doubt about it. Um, the Patriots have had this really weird uh, schedule where they play either shit teams or great teams. If you look at their schedule, and and I've got the graphic here. That's why I'm sort of laughing a little bit. But you're talking about the bottom of the barrel, teams in total efficiency that rank either 26th or worse. They played the Dolphins, the Jets twice, the Texans, the Panthers, and this week they're going to play the Falcons. All those teams, however many I just mentioned, five that they've already played plus the Falcons upcoming are like bottom seven teams in the NFL. Then they've played the following that are top seven teams. The Saints, which they lost to, the Bucks, which they lost to, the Cowboys, which they lost to, and and then the uh the Browns this past week. Those are all like some of the league's best teams. So they've either, the only game where they played a team in the middle was the Chargers two weeks ago. Every, every other game they played was either against shit team or great team. Um, and to close the schedule, they've got the Titans coming up in week 12 after they play the Falcons, who is a shit team. And right now the New England Patriots on the road on Thursday night are favored by six points. After this game, They've got the Titans, who obviously have the best record in the NFL. Then they have two games against the Bills, plus a game against the Colts, who are getting their legs underneath of them. So and we're going to find out. We'll find we're out. Find that. We'll find out. Yeah. Absolutely. Hilariously, uh, the, the the Patriots game yesterday might have had the funniest note uh, from it, which was like basically the miracle finally took place. I don't know how many people are aware of this. Jacoby Myers. His first touchdown of his career on a short Brian Hoyer pass. Coming into the game, Myers had 1,522 career receiving yards without a touchdown. He was an NFL record for any player at any position in NFL history. No one. I mean, that may be the unbreakable record, Warren. To be able to get fifteen hundred yards and never and be a starting wide receiver, a number one wide receiver for that matter, and never score a touchdown, but he finally did it yesterday. So congratulations to Jacoby Myers. That that one hurt me specifically. Um, I, I I feel good for him, but I don't really care about that when it comes to my bankroll. And that was a game where I bet the under on the full game at <laughs> forty five and a half. And the everybody basically had pulled out their 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 stars at that yep. point. There's only four minutes left in the fourth quarter, <laughs> and the score is thirty eight to seven. 
So it's 45 oh. points. I've got under 45 and a half. And uh, completely <laughs> unnecessary score from the Patriots <laughs> to this Jacoby Myers so that he can get his first NFL touchdown, sends the game over the total. I mean, that's this brutal, know, brutal for that's, me. That's but brutal. Uh, anything, anything on tonight's game? Monday night, it's interesting. I would absolutely have to. Here's the funny part about this game. The media and the public perception about what the Rams are doing, signing all these guys and building this super team and everything. I mean, why do I feel like I want to bet against this team for like weeks now? Because <laughs> the, the, the massive perception about the Rams is like they are, they've got the best team in the NFL. They've built this juggernaut. I will tell you this, not that he is a more talented player necessarily. I'm not skilled enough in my evals to be able to make the most accurate determination there. That's for the film guys who have put months and years into studying the tape. I would much rather have Robert Woods up, familiar with this entire offense and his role, and Matt Stafford having worked with him all offseason, than to have Odell Beckham Jr. into this game. And I don't even know if he's going to play, how much he's going to play. I don't know that that's been officially announced. If I was Sean McVay, I would keep it completely under wraps. Why would you why would you share that type of information? Coaches some for some reason, Chris, feel the need to like explain everything that they're about to do in a game that matters. Like, why would you say anything? But at any rate, um, so I don't think it's a positive for this particular game. I would absolutely be leaning to the 49ers here, catching three and the hook. Um to, to, to me, I have not done anything it's, on the game. It's, it's, every, it's the most NFL thing ever, right? Everybody's down on the 49ers. Everybody's up on the Rams. We just talked about dogs covering 58% of the time. You know everybody in the free world is going to bet on the Rams tonight. The pro- I don't know what... Co- the problem is Kyle Shanahan at home is just absurdly terrible. I mean, his win-loss <laughs> record, his ATS record, y- you know, they're much better away from home because they don't have like a point spread that's skewed in their favor, even if it's only two points, probably more like two and a half, to a quote-unquote home field advantage. They need those extra two and a half points on the road to help them cover spreads. At home, when you tax them by those two and a half points, they they just have not been able to do it. Kyle Shanahan has not been a good enough coach. Um, I'm really fascinated to watch this game. I love it when Kyle goes up against Sean McVay because for years, these two were like the most... You know, they obviously worked together in the past, but like the most uh, influential OCs, play callers in the NFL, the most creative guys that we have, and two of the young up-and-coming guys with head coaching gigs who both call their, call their own plays. And I just love it when they go up head-to-head, and it's fun to see them in the same division. So it's always must-see TV when these two guys square off against each other. Yeah, and I hope we get to see Von Miller for the first time. Because we we didn't get to see him in week one. I I know they've listed him as questionable, uh, and they have had differing things they have said in the media. First, they said his ankle injury was worse than what they thought it was, but you know McVay said he thinks Vaughn's going to be ready to roll. So, I mean, Vaughn Miller and Aaron Donald on the same defense is just outrageous. <laughs> I want to see what it looks like, and Jalen Ramsey, for that matter. I, I mean, it's more about the the defensive addition than the than the than the big Odell Beckham Jr. news or whatever. Like, the, you might you got three Hall of Famers, one at each level of that defense. Which, by uh, the way, by the way, I haven't listened to the Big Boss's podcast, but I wonder if he's uh, 
got some money on the Mac Jones Rookie of the Year now. Oh, I'm sure I'm he sure does. He, maybe he's doubling down if he hadn't bet it before, but uh, producer Mike said that Mac is now plus 150 on the Rookie of the Year as Jamar Chase, who was a favorite, I believe, at minus 110, is, is you know, if Mac goes on a run here, they've got some tough games, like I said, after this Falcons game. But mm-hmm. if he goes on a run here, um, you know, it's hard not to say that especially after what this Patriots team did last year, uh, if he brings it back to the postseason this year, I mean, I, I think you're looking at the rookie of the year. I think so too. Warren, it is always a pleasure. I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Chris. And that'll do it. Thank you to everyone for listening. We will be back Wednesday with Ben Solak to run through the upcoming slate from a film and analytics perspective. Thanks to Chris Vernon for joining me as always. Thanks to Mike we're going to Craig Holbrook for producing the show. We will see you guys back on Wednesday. Wednesday.